sermon. We do have time for a sermon, I think. So let's, let's do that now. Uh, many of you do know about my oldest daughter, Hannah, our oldest daughter, Hannah, at Lancaster Bible College, and she is studying music theater, which I'm really proud of her. Uh, the ironic thing about that, though, is that I really don't like musicals, right? This is what she's going to do with her life, and I'm really not uh, the kind of person that has ever really been able to enjoy musicals. It's just not really not my thing. I have never seen more than two minutes of Sound of Music in my life, and I'm hoping I go the rest of my life and that will still be true. I can't make it through Greece. I don't like that. Uh, that musical is not my thing either. But I have made, since this is what Hannah's doing with her life, I have made an intentional effort as her dad to, uh, to watch some musicals with her. Like if she gets excited about a musical that she wants to see, I'll sit down and watch. I've seen Hamilton, which was pretty good, better than I was expecting. I've watched The Greatest Showman with her. We've been to Sight and Sound a number of times. Uh, my favorite one, my favorite musical of all time, Cats. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's a total, never saw it, never saw it. That would be funny though, right? Like that would be funny if that was my favorite musical of all time. But of the musicals that I've seen, and I'm sure you have, uh, you've probably seen a musical or two in your time, uh, what I've noticed about them is this, that usually, you know, in any good story you have, there's a problem, uh, and then the characters work to resolve that problem. But a lot of musicals will have a moment, right, a moment of uh, darkness, a moment of sadness, a moment of tragedy, and uh, that's what kind of makes the story interesting. But in these dark places of sadness or fear, uh, because it is a musical, right? They sing songs, but the song is typically, uh, the, the lyrics, the tone of the song, all of that expresses the sadness. It's a song that expresses the fear or, or what they're feeling in that tragic circumstance. And you would expect that. Uh, you would not expect a character... Uh, in their darkest moment, to start singing, I'm walking on sunshine. Whoa. Right? You wouldn't expect that. That would be weird in that moment. We have been studying the book of Habakkuk. If you have your Bible, please open your Bible with me. Now you're thinking, man, you should be in musicals. No, I should not. I should not be in musicals. Habakkuk chapter 3. Go ahead and open your Bible up there with me. Habakkuk, as we've learned now, over the last few weeks, uh, he was an Old Testament prophet, and he lived about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. His country at the time was full of sin. His country was full of corruption, and he cried out to God to do something about it. And God told Habakkuk that he was doing something about it, that he was raising up the nation of Babylon, and Babylon was going to come in and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. People were going to die. People were going to be exiled back to Babylon. And then, after 70 years of captivity, God was going to punish Babylon. And the Israelites would have the opportunity to come back home. They would have the opportunity to come back to Jerusalem. But they were going to have to rebuild everything. They were going to have to rebuild the city walls, the temple. They were going to have to rebuild their economy, their, their homes, their community. They were going to have to rebuild their way of life. 
right? It wasn't going to be easy even after 70 years in being able to return home. And it's not the answer that Habakkuk expected. And now we get to chapter 3, and he writes a song. That's what chapter 3 is. It's a prayer uh, that he wrote in the form of a song. And it's not the kind of song that you would expect to sing in response to your entire world getting turned upside down. I want you to go to the end of the song with me. Go to the end of chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. This uh, summarizes the whole uh, feeling of the song. In verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, the word yet is in response to everything that we know that's coming, right? The, the Babylon's coming, and people are going to die, and everything's going to get destroyed. In the background, this is what's coming, and yet, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be, listen to this word, joyful. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. The image of that is a deer leaping up out of the valley, right? He's going to be in a valley uh, experience for a season. And the image of this deer that is bounding up out of the valley onto the mountaintop, that's how he feels. That's what he's expressing, this level of joy. Now, you would expect that this song, in everything that's going to be going on in his life, you would expect the song to be a sad country song, where the pickup truck gets stolen by the guy who also stole your girlfriend and your dog. But instead, we get when the saints go marching in, right? Like the jazz hands and the jazz band version of that. Sing it like you mean it. I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And probably a lot of you, you hear that, you read that, and you're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't seem to fit the situation. And if, that, if that's where, what your reaction would be to this song, you're not alone. I think a lot of people feel the tension of some of the verses that we read in the Bible. When it comes to our response to darkness and sadness and tragedy. 1 Thessalonians chapter, 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Always be joyful. Now just, we'll just stop there for a minute. Always be joyful. That's what it says. It doesn't say... Uh, be joyful just when the sun is shining and everything in your life is great. Always be joyful. Verse 17, never stop praying. Verse 18, be thankful in all circumstances. Well, there's tension in that verse that we feel when we are going through difficult days. Always be joyful. The last couple weeks, we looked at this verse. Every week, we looked at James chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith is producing in you perseverance. Well, there's tension in that verse for us. Consider it pure joy. That's the word you're going to pick when we face trials in life. 
Just because it's producing in us spiritual maturity and perseverance, the, abil- the ability to hang in there in tough circumstances. Joy, really? And see, verses like that, they force us to answer the question, how do we do that? How do we experience joy? How do we sing with joy when we know that difficult days are on their way? How do we sing with joy when we find ourselves in in dark places of sorrow or fear? How do we do that? Do we pretend it's not happening? Do Do we disconnect from reality? Do we distract ourselves with things that are just going to keep us busy so we don't have to think about it? Or can we truly experience joy in our seasons of sadness and fear? Is that really possible? I want to start with an understanding of the word joy itself. Because I think the word joy and and maybe your definition of it uh, may be connected to what the world thinks we should define joy as. That's a possibility that you might not have a real great definition of joy. The world believes that joy is connected to pleasant circumstances, right? Sun is shining, uh, we're outside getting sunburn on our faces, whatever. We have pleasant circumstances, therefore... We are experiencing joy. That's what the world says. The world tells us that joy is connected to material possessions. The more stuff you have, the more joyful you will be. The world tells us that joy is connected to entertaining or pleasurable experiences. That dream vacation, right? That's where you'll experience joy. But the Bible paints a very different picture of joy that is not dependent on any of those things. For the person who has a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, joy flows out of that spiritual connection to God. That's our source of joy. Joy isn't dependent, for the believer, joy is not dependent upon whether or not we have pleasant circumstances because that joy flows out of our relationship with God. John 15, verses 10 and 11, Jesus says this, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. But then Jesus goes on to say, I have told you this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete, that it may be perfect. Do you get that? We can have the joy of Jesus in us because we are connected to Him through faith. And our joy can be complete. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. It's dependent upon our relationship with Him. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces these these qualities, these attributes in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? These are qualities that we can have in us and they are produced by the Holy Spirit. Our connection to God through faith in Jesus 
produces in us joy. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul writes this to the believer, you became imitators of us and imitators of the Lord Jesus in spite of severe suffering. So what is the circumstance of those in Thessalonica, the people in that church, in that city? Severe suffering, not ideal circumstances, right? Unpleasant circumstances. And yet he writes this, you welcome the message with joy given to you by the Holy Spirit. So we can experience joy in severe suffering, joy even in unpleasant circumstances. How is that possible? It's possible because joy flows out of our connection to God through faith in Jesus Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit living inside you. In Habakkuk chapter 3, the first couple verses, he writes this in his song, I've heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Eden, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heaven, and the earth is filled with His praise. He goes on to describe some things that God has done in the past. And he's, in this song, He's expressing his, his desire to see God do it again. And one of the things that He's referencing here is what God did for the Israelites during their days of slavery. You understand that, that is, the uh, nation of Israel... Uh, was in slavery for 430 years. That means that when Moses shows up on the scene, there is no one alive at that time that has known anything other than a life of slavery. Right? 430 years. That means that there's not a generation alive at that time who knew freedom. That's all they ever knew. Now, there may have been some who, uh, who had heard that God would one day deliver them, right? And maybe they're like, yeah, that's our hope. But I wonder how many were actually like, maybe today's the day that God will deliver us from slavery. And yet God did. It took a long time, but yet He did. Moses does show up and He does deliver them. He leads them out of Egypt. Of course, where do they wind up? Where's like the first stopping point? The Red Sea. So they have this, uh, this, this uh, sea in front of them, and coming behind them with no way of escape is the Egyptian army. Buyer's remorse, whatever it was, or like, we need to get our slaves back, let's go get them. And so they've got the Egyptian army coming from behind, they have the Red Sea in front of them. It's a hopeless situation. And you know what did God do? He parted the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. These are the things that God did for them in the past. And Habakkuk is looking back at those things. He said, look at all the things that you've done, Lord, in your deliverance, in your strength, in your comfort that you provided. Do it again. Do it again. Psalm 33 says this, The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. 
But the Lord watches over those who fear Him, those who rely on His unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. God can deliver. The psalmist writes, We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice. Now, understand the context. A time of famine, a time of war, right? That's the the backdrop of this psalm. Things are not ideal. Things are difficult. And yet the psalmist writes, In God our hearts rejoice. Why? Because we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us. Our hope is in you alone. Our circumstances in life may be really difficult. Now, maybe right now in your life, things are good, things are smooth, give it time, right? That's just, that's just the nature of life, that difficulties come. But in our times of trouble, a believer finds joy in remembering what God has done in the past and believing that God can do it again. Possible, though, that maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're listening to the live stream today, and you don't have much personal history with God yet. Maybe you haven't been following Jesus long enough to have experienced His faithfulness, to have experienced personally His strength in dark places. But if you read through the Bible, what will you find? It's just story after story after story of God's faithfulness and strength and deliverance, and sustaining grace. And those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, you know, you get it. Because you have experienced not only a change in your heart, not only a change in your life, but you've you've experienced His comfort when you're hurting. You've experienced His deliverance when there seemed to be no hope. You've experienced strength when you're weak. And that's where true spiritual joy flows out of that connection to God through faith in Jesus. And it's just this trust in what God can do. True spiritual joy flows out of our connection to God in this trust in what He can do. But it's not just in what God can do. It's trust in who God is. That's where spiritual joy comes from. It's this trust in who God is. In verse 19, do you see how Habakkuk describes God? He is the sovereign Lord. Sovereign means that He is over all, complete control. God is sovereign, and it's really important we get this idea out of our minds that we are in any way on equal footing with God, because we're not. God is sovereign. And that means he is free to do whatever he chooses. Now, here's the encouraging thing about that. God only does what is consistent with his character. God only does what is consistent with his nature. And his character, his nature, is that of complete holiness, infinite wisdom. He is completely righteous. He is completely just. He is infinitely full of love and mercy, and grace. God is sovereign. You're not. I'm not. King Louis XIV was a French monarch who desired to be 
the greatest king ever. That's how he wanted to be remembered, as the greatest king ever. And so for his funeral plans, he planned that when he died, he wanted his funeral to be uh, in the great cathedral of Notre Dame, and he wanted the casket to be at the front of the church, obviously, but he wanted everything to be darkened in the church except one candle that would rest on his casket. That's how he wanted his funeral to be. So that's what they set up for his funeral. Uh, but when it came time for the preacher to get up and do his part, the preacher came and he snuffed out the light of that candle. And in the darkness, he said on uh, more than one time, he said, only God is great. Only God is great. Can you imagine a dark room and that's the message, only God is great? It's a very powerful illustration of something that we need to remember in our everyday lives. We've got to come to terms with that reality if we want to experience spiritual joy. Only God is great. Only God is worthy of worship. You're not, and I'm not. You know, it's fine to enjoy pleasurable experiences. It's fine to enjoy our children and our grandchildren. It's, it's fine to enjoy sports and material possessions. What is not okay is to worship anything or anyone above God, including yourself. You know, Habakkuk starts out in chapter 1 really trying to advise God on what he should do and how he should do it. That's how he starts out. God, this is what you should do. This is how you should do it. And God says, no, that's not what I'm doing. I've got a different plan. When that happens, what do we do with that? If you think that your wisdom is somehow on the same level playing field as the wisdom of God, you're not going to experience joy in this life. You're going to experience frustration and disappointment. But if you will trust in who God is, that God is holy, that He is righteous, that He is just, that He is full of infinite love and mercy and grace and wisdom. If you really trust in who God is, then you're going to experience joy because it's going to flow out of that trust that you have, not only in what God can do, but in who God is. One more place that we find joy in dark places, where we find joy flowing from our connection to God is in genuine worship. In seasons of sorrow, in seasons of fear, genuine worship allows us to experience joy. If you go to verse 16, now we've already read verses uh, what, 18 and 19, but right before that, that part in verse 18 where he says, yet I will, yet meaning despite of everything I've just talked about. Well, here's some of the stuff he was talking about. Verse 15, he's like, you trampled the sea with your horses, the, the, the mighty waters piled up. I trembled inside when I heard this. Heard what? That Babylon is coming and they're going to destroy everything. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me. I shook in terror. I will wait patiently for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us 
Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there's no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Does that sound like a good situation? Sounds terrible. Sounds really, really hard. In verse 18, yet I will rejoice, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk doesn't say that he is enjoying this future that was coming. He was really afraid. In fact, he was physically sick over what was coming. But I love that Habakkuk expresses that sorrow. He expresses that fear in worship. He doesn't pretend it's not happening. He doesn't psychologically disconnect from it. He... He expresses all of those feelings in prayer and in worship. And I just want you to know, this is something I personally have experienced in my life. I know a lot of you have as well. In my darkest moments, worship has been like taking a bucket to the well in which the bottom of that well contains joy. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus Christ is the source of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the source of our comfort. He's the source of our strength. God the Father is the source of this confidence that we can know that we are loved, that we are cared for. And I think about the Lord. To me, the image would be like He is this well that is filled with joy. And worship is like taking a bucket and, and putting it down into that well and pulling up joy and being refreshed from that source of joy that the Lord provides. Joy does not flow out of psychological detachment, pretending that nothing's wrong. Joy doesn't flow from emotional distraction, you know, just telling ourselves, well, I can't do anything about it anyway. I just won't think about it. I'll just keep busy. You're going to find joy there. Joy doesn't flow out of trying to be tough by telling each other, you know what? You need to quit your belly aching. You need to suck it up, buttercup. Be a man. It is what it is. No, you're not going to find joy in that. Joy flows out of our connection to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we experience that joy when we, when we uh, express worship even in our pain, even in our fear, and even in our sorrow. 1 Peter 1, 6, Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice. There's that word again. We're supposed to greatly rejoice that everything is amazing. That's not what the verse says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief, in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, and he says your faith is of greater value than gold, and gold isn't going to be around forever. It's going to perish even though it's refined by fire, he says, and your faith is even of greater value than gold. Your faith, he says, is going to prove that your faith is genuine. And that, that may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, when Jesus Christ comes back. Only God is great. 
Only God is worthy of worship because of His, His unfailing love and for the grace that He provides in our temporary and painful circumstances. So how do we experience joy? How do we sing with joy when we know that really difficult days are coming? When we find ourselves in dark places of sorrow or fear? We find joy, we experience joy when we establish and pursue a faith-based relationship, a connection to God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we experience that relationship with Jesus when we repent of our sin, when we trust in His work on the cross on our behalf, when we allow Him to change our hearts, change our lives, when we choose to follow Him. Every single day when we live in dependence on God, remembering that He is sovereign and we aren't, we can experience joy that's not dependent upon our circumstances. We trust in what God can do. We trust that He can provide deliverance. We trust that He can provide strength. We trust that He can provide comfort. But we also trust in who God is, that He's sovereign, that He's holy and righteous and just, that He is full of love and mercy and wisdom. And we choose to worship God in our seasons of pain, in our seasons of fear. We take our bucket to His well of joy and we drink deeply. We can worship in private. We can worship with God's people. But it's so important that we sing with joy when the tears fall. We need to sing with joy when the fears attack. We need to sing with joy when that challenge stares us down. We need to sing with joy when the darkness closes in. We sing with joy when our heart is broken. We sing with joy when when hope is really hard to find. We sing with joy because the Lord is sovereign. And He's our strength. I love this image. I want to go back to it. We'll finish with this. This image of this deer. He makes me sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. I find myself in this valley experience, and it's dark, and it's lonely, and it's scary down here in the valley. But because of my relationship with God, it's like I'm a deer that is coming up out of the valley and and leaping on the mountaintops. How is that possible? It's only possible through our connection to God through what He can provide in our souls, through the refreshment of His joy. Isaiah 40, 31, For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Do you believe that, Christian? I hope that that is your hope as you walk through dark days, because even if right now things are sunshine and rainbows and unicorns for you, praise God for that. But I don't know what day uh, that that will change. God does. It won't catch Him by surprise. So whether it's today or tomorrow or a week or a month, whenever those dark days come, we can still experience joy when we trust in what God can do, when we trust in who God is, and when we choose to worship 
because he's the only one who's truly great. He's the only one who is truly worth our worship.